I know I'm excited to be here as we open up God's Word together. I pray that you'll take it and open your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be going through verses 14 through 30 today. And you're going, Jeff, we did 14 and 15 last week, and you're right. We're just going to get in context and move on through. If you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you, you can find that on page 1183. Luke chapter 4, and you can go to verse 14, and we will pick that up. The Super Bowl is today, and I plan to watch it, and uh, I hope the Chiefs win. I'm just going ahead and get that out of the way. You know, here, I know Zeke's probably listening. He's sick right now. He called in sick this morning. You know why? Because he already feels the defeat coming. <laughs> Zeke, I know you're at home. You're probably listening to this. Sorry, brother, but you asked for it. You, 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 you shouldn't be gone today of all days if you're going to be a 49ers fan. I mean, you know, so, but... But while I know I, what I, who I hope wins, what I hope more than that is I hope it's a really good game. I really want to see a really good game. And I don't know who's going to win, but I do know a few things about today. After the game, one team will be awarded what they call the Lombardi Trophy as the Super Bowl champs. Then a player will be named, most likely from that winning team, will be named the most valuable player of the Super Bowl. Then that player will be asked on camera, hey, what are you going to do next? And that player will be caught on camera saying one of two things. I'm going to Disney World or I'm going to Disneyland. Now, what I read when I studied this week is that depending upon where it is in the country determines which one they air most of the time. But I've also read that in order for it to be beneficial to both Disney World and Disneyland, because they're different, because they're in two different locations, is that they actually will record the other one as well. And we only get to see the one that they show, but then they leverage it in location-specific things. Uh, and tradition of I'm going to Disney World was begun in 1987 and has been going strong about ever since. And then that player, who's going to Disney World or Disneyland, the next day, so tomorrow, will be in the Disney parade. You know they do a Disney parade every day. But on this parade tomorrow, the MVP will be in either Disney World or Disneyland in the parade. But that's not the only parade that's going to happen this week because of the Super Bowl. The winning team will, what be, will have what is dubbed the Champions Parade in their own hometown a few days after the Super Bowl. And hundreds of thousands of people will turn out to cheer on their Super Bowl winning team. I bet you that that's such an event that even people in Kansas City or San Francisco, whichever one wins, people will show up because of the event happening even if they weren't diehard fans, they want to be caught up in the hometown opportunity to be able to shine. And it's with that backdrop of the Super Bowl and, and that parade that we stand together and read from Luke chapter 4. 
I'm going to read verses 14 to 30, Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, 14 says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to talk through this. As, we, as I've mentioned a couple times already, last week we spent a, quite a bit of time in verses 14 and 15 just to give you a contextual staying in line, then after a period of time, perhaps a year, we said, in Jesus's ministry, and we talked about all of the things that had occurred in that period of time. Then, after news had spread about all Jesus had been doing in the surrounding areas, and then after Jesus had taught and many lives were changed, Scripture says that people brought glory to God because of that. And now we move ahead into today's scripture. You're going, Jeff, you cover verse 14 and 15 just like that. Just keep going and we'll be fine because the Super Bowl's coming on in about six or seven hours, right? You will make it on time, I promise you for that. Look at verse 16. It says, so, and I stopped right there. Did you know that a synonym for the word so, a word that means the same as so, is the word then? So we can read this, haha, then Jesus came to Nazareth. So we're about this progression from 14 to 15 as a then. Now let's talk about it. It says that Jesus came to Nazareth. This is the place that Jesus had been raised. Jesus was coming home. News about Jesus, as we've read, has spread quickly. His family, his friends, his neighbors were likely very glad to see him. And this was probably a proud moment for his hometown. 
And verse 16 goes on to say, he came to Nazareth where he brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. Church, note, note something very important right here. Jesus made a regular habit of being in the synagogue at the appointed times. Scripture goes out of its way to say, as was his custom. Jesus regularly found himself in the synagogue. Now, I would see that as us needing to find our way regularly into the house of God. Jesus, being the Son of God, could have made several different choices, and I think the world gets these. Do you know that there are some people, Jesus could have said, the religious system is rife with trouble and problems, and I'm not going there. Now, that's a first century perspective that rings very, very true in the 21st century, does it not? Have you ever talked to somebody who said, I'm not going to the church, that place is full of hypocrites. Well, church, they're right, and we need to shape up. But Jesus regularly made it his habit, even though the church may have had challenges, of being involved in it. Jesus could have said, I don't need to go to the synagogue. I'm the son of God. I already know it all. And he did know it all. But he knew that it was important to be gathering together with God's people. But he went. That meant that Jesus believed that this was where he needed to, be, needed to be at the appointed time. Believed that this was the best place for him to be. And the answer is, the question could be, why? Well, verse 16 tells us the answer to that. He stood to read. Jesus knew that being in the house of God, reading scripture with other like-minded people and being taught or teaching that scripture was a very valuable thing. I love this. And you're going, yeah, you're a pastor. Of course you love this. You love anything that tells people they should be coming to church. But here's the thing about it is, is I believe that you either do or you should love this as well. Why? Well, you're here. Some of you are going, I, don't, I didn't plan on being here. Well, God knew you were coming. And he has something for you today. Many of you go, well, I'm here because that's what I regularly do, and I want you to do that. I'm okay with us regularly doing things that put us in line with what God's Word says to do. But I hope and pray that the greatest reason that you're here and the greatest reason why you will be back here next Sunday is because Jesus is worth it. The Word of God says so, and we should do this. We want to talk about that for just a second. I want to read, and just make a copy in your notes right there. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just going to read three verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Notice at the end of that, that's a comma at the end of verse 24, which means that what is said in verse 25 goes along with that same thought. So I'm going to read verse 24 again. Um, 
And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, comma, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Church, there is a purpose for us being together. Scripture teaches that. Tells us that we are to hold fast to our confession. It teaches us to grow in what we know and what we believe and how we want to live and found our lives on Christ. It's good for one another. Do you know that me being here is good for you, Scripture says, and you being here is good for me? And you're going, Jeff, I get that, Jeff. If I'm not here, you're preaching to an empty sanctuary. I've done that before. It's okay. But the thing we have to recognize is, is that you being here is good for me. And it's good for the people on your right and left and back and front. That's what Scripture says. And me being here is good for you, and them being here is good for you. This is a mutual benefit that we have when we gather together. And that's why I want to see you here every single time that you can, because it is good for you. And if I want to be selfish, it's good for me. That's what Scripture teaches. It also says that we get to exhort and encourage one another. Church, we should be regularly in church. And you're going, Jeff, we're here. And we should be together. We should fellowship, pray, study, and encourage one another. And I pray that as this day leaves, you walk off and you've experienced all of those things, I pray, but at least some of those things that you have experienced. We should seek to encourage each other every opportunity we get. Because it is good for us. Wednesday night, we did Psalm 55. We've been going through the Psalms for close to a year and a half now with little breaks for holidays and special needs and things like that. And we studied together and we were challenged together and we were taught together. On Wednesday nights, this past Wednesday night, we came together and we prayed together and we encouraged one another together and we studied God's word together. And we got to know God better. And you should try it. See, there's a large disparity between the number of people that are here on Sunday, and I'm glad you're here, and a number of people that are here on Wednesday. And I don't want to see you miss anything that is good for you. And I don't want to miss anything that's good for me. And so I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord that perhaps you want to think about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You're going, Jeff, but we're here. It's Sunday, and I was here last week, and I'll be here next week. That's good. But God's people can gather multiple times and walk through that. So I just want to encourage you. You should try it. I walk out of Wednesday nights thinking, wow, God, thank you for that. It's such an awesome time of coming together, and I just want to encourage you, my family, to come together. But it says here, you go into verse 17, Jesus stood to read, and note that he was handed the book of Isaiah, but note when you read the scripture that Jesus was handed the book of Isaiah, but scripture is very clear to say that it was Jesus who chose the passage in Isaiah that he was going to read. And Jesus chose a specific passage, and it's captured there in verse 18 and 19. It's actually Isaiah chapter 61. Verse 1 and the first half only, first half only of verse 2. And you can see this says there. 
And Jesus had a specific reason for reaching these verses, something for the people that day. And you know what I think is beautiful about the uh, providence of God and the sovereignty of God is that Jesus can stand in that synagogue on that day with that scripture and have a word for the people, and we can still be challenged and encouraged by that same word these 21 centuries later. You see, God has a way of knowing what we need. I believe Jesus stood in that moment, in that synagogue, on that day, and knew exactly what he was going to read and why he was going to read it. How many times have you been in church or have you been in Bible study? Have you been in Sunday school and you walk out of that and or walk out of the service and you go, man, that's what I needed today. Isn't it an amazing thing? We walk in with different needs, different lives, different challenges, different perspectives, in different classes, with different materials, with different teachers, with different class makeup, and we can be together and walk out and go, God, thank you. I needed that today. You know, I try to reach out when the Lord prompts me to reach out to someone, and I reached out to someone uh, yesterday. I just texted them. They were on my heart, so I texted them. And I got this text back from one of this couple. I got a text back from both. This one pretty quickly, and they said, thank you. I was right in the middle of doing something, and this helped me be able to navigate through there. Church, this being together thing, it's an important, important aspect of us being together. God knows what we need. Me too. God knows what I need. You're going, Jeff, but you already know what you're going to say. You know, but the interesting thing here is there's, there's this strange thing that can happen in this little circle right here is that I can both be speaking and be being spoken to at the same time. And I know it's been a good Sunday when I've studied and prepared and then the Lord teaches me in the moment it gives me great encouragement that he was teaching everyone else in that moment as well. Now, verses 18 to 19, let's look at them again. I'm just going to read them again. It said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, Jewish rabbis in even that moment and time right there, Jewish rabbis interpreted this passage from Isaiah to be a direct description and prophecy of the coming Messiah, of the Christ, the promised one of God, of the Redeemer. And people, because they were regularly there, they also understood what this passage was for and what it described and who it was talking about coming. And so Jesus read this, and everybody would have understood that they were talking about the promised Savior of the world. And Jesus described there, he said, his power was from God, his ministry was to preach the gospel, his audience was the poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. His message was the good news, to release, to bring sight, to provide freedom, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, 
hesitation is not me losing my place. It's me trying to allow the speaking and the speaking to get lined up with each other because the Lord wants me to bring up a couple of things right here. I want us to note first that Jesus stopped reading Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. Stopped short. He did not say, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Now, that's an important thing because that's a future thing. Jesus was standing there today, and he said, today what he read has, be has become true in your sight today. Jesus is saying everything in Isaiah 61, chapter 1, first, first half of chapter 2, everything was made true in him. And he stopped reading there because he could not have said that that's happened true. Because see, that day, that moment, prophetically speaking, is still to come. Now, I want us to understand that we are in the middle of what Jesus was reading from Scripture about himself. We are, Jesus has come. He has said he is all of these things. That's why the Lord sent him. And there is a coming day, the end, Isaiah 61, verse 2b. That day's still coming. So we are living in the gap between what Jesus said he's already fulfilled and that moment that has yet to come. And that's an important thing to understand. And he read this. And then scripture says that he closed the book, he gave it back, and he sat down. Verse 20 goes on to say, they give us a little temperature of the room, and they said that all eyes were fixed upon him. Can you just grab the scene in the room? Jesus stood up, hometown crowd, proud of their boy. He gets the chance. They're going, Jesus, you know, we talked last week, Jesus walks into walks into the synagogue, you're going, I don't care who was preaching that day, Jesus is now in charge. They gave him the book and they said, there you go, Jesus. And Jesus read this very openly messianic claiming of who he is. And then he sits down. The scripture says that they're doing, they were doing exactly what you're doing to me right now. You're just looking. Jesus, being the masterful teacher, probably knew exactly how long to wait before it became too long. And he knew how long to wait because he needed people to really allow this to soak in and not become too short. And then he said in verse 21, today, in this moment, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, some have said, historically speaking, that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Church, that's just not true. Jesus declared who he was over and over and over again. And it's in this moment one of those situations just happened. Jesus told us what Scripture said and promised, what God prophesied, I now fulfill today. Jesus is saying that this Messianic Scripture, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2a, he said, that's me. 
Church, that's pretty strong. Jesus going, that's me. Verse 22. So, now we've already talked about the synonym for the word so is then. So then they all heard him. They witnessed this and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Then silence set in. And it had to be silent for an unbearable moment, I believe. Everyone was probably seeking to process what they had just heard. The claim that Jesus had just made that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the coming Redeemer. Now, we're going to hold on right there for just a second. You see, church, everyone will come to this moment of silence in their lives. They will come to understand the claim that Jesus made as to being the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. They will get to that point of hearing this. Understand that. And they, you being one of they, will have to decide what to do with that information. You will have to decide what to do with this revelation of truth. See, in this silent moment, what was happening all around that synagogue is a lot of people are going, hmm, that's a pretty big claim. Been reading, been praying, been looking for. Now this man walks in and says that it's him. I had an opportunity this week to speak with a young man. He was wrestling with all that he had heard Scripture teaching, with the gospel, with need, with life, with sin, with Jesus' claim to be the Redeemer, that the Son of God came by the world by, in faith. He also wrestled clearly with good works, seeking to do better, and having the inability to see that happen in himself or in his life. And I asked this young man a simple question. I said, how does God see you today? And we sat in silence. Now, it wasn't this silence like I'm refusing the answer. It was this silence of, man, I'm really thinking. This is a moment And he thought and debated and considered all he was hearing. And we read and we discussed scripture. And church, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit was at work in this moment. The Holy Spirit's always at work. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit is at work right now? I pray that you will let him have his way right now. But he's at work right now if you will allow him. Church, if you're saved today, if you are saved today, you likely recall this day in your life. Someone had just explained salvation to you. You understood the claim that was being made. You understood that there was a decision that needed to be made, and you likely recall this very point. I've been with many of you when that point occurred. And I've not been with most of you when it has occurred. But you likely recall this moment. And this moment is the moment just 
before you make your decision about what you're going to do. You wrestle with the truth. You understand that Jesus has made his claim and now he is waiting on you. And it all sounds so good. Doesn't the gospel sound so good? We marvel at it, just like the people here in the synagogue in first century. We marvel at it. We're going, oh man, I can't believe that. It sounds so good. Church, can I tell you this news requires a response? This news will not allow one to remain neutral. You either accept this news or you reject this news. There are no other answers except reject. That's it. There is no middle ground. Back to Luke 14 and 15 of this chapter for just a second. Jesus had taught in the surrounding cities. Jesus likely taught the same gospel message because that's what Jesus was sent for in those towns. And the people had believed and God was glorified. And I'm happy to tell you that God being glorified has not stopped. For this young man in my office this week prayed to receive Christ. He got to this point of understanding the claim and understanding the word, and he had to make a decision, and silence set in, but silence will not be the end. You must accept or you will reject Jesus. That's just the fact. He believed, he prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord, and can I tell you that God is so, so good to us. But we know people sometimes reject this claim, this truth. We know this because we're reading about it right now. We know this because other scriptures speak about people rejecting Jesus to the point of crucifying him. We know this because personally, you know people right now who do not believe. They just won't. So we know that this scripture is true. And we know this because you once didn't believe. Can I tell you in my own personal testimony that every time I heard the truth of Jesus and did not accept it, I rejected it. And you're going, Jeff, did you stomp your feet and throw a big fit? No. Failing to move and accept the gospel, church, is rejecting the gospel. And do you know that I rejected the gospel every single time I heard it up until the point that I accepted it? We recognize that, right? You were this person rejecting the gospel until you were this person who accepted the gospel. There is no, I'm thinking about it. Thinking about it and not acting is called rejection. I rejected Jesus many times before I accepted the claim of who he was, the truth that he shared and what he offered me, and then when I accepted Jesus by faith. Now, it talks about 
in this period of time that Jesus talked about in verse 18 and 19. Verse 19 said, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. And I went on a little bit of a biblical search here. And the year of our Lord is referring to a, the year of Jubilee. And in Leviticus chapter 25, we're not going there. We're not even going to read that today, but it's verses 8 through 12. It talks about how when you get to the year of Jubilee, it's the 50th year. Get this. God said after seven Sabbath years, which is seven years, seven times, that's 49 years, you are to have the year of Jubilee. And you can go read that. And in that year of Jubilee, all debts are forgiven. All land goes back to the right place. It's this ability for life to settle back in and everybody to be made right. And you're going, Jeff, that's a cool thing. I want that. We want to do that in our lives. You didn't plow. You didn't harvest. You just lived off the goodness of God in that 50th year. You can go back and read that. It's a very interesting thing that the Lord had called them to do. But the interesting thing is, when I was reading about the year of Jubilee, do you know what kicks off the year of Jubilee, that 50th year? The Day of Atonement. In the Jewish world, in God's original plan for his people, the Day of Atonement. You know what the Day of Atonement is? That's when you deal with your sins. And Jesus is going, I'm coming to help you deal with your sins. And then everything else after that is jubilee. I'm coming to help you deal with your sins. So back to verse 22. Jesus had read. He had made his claim. And they all looked at him, likely a very long and palpable silence. And then someone broke the silence. Can you just hear it? I don't know. I thought for a second. I said, Lord, who would it be in this church? Who's this person going to be in this church that goes, isn't that the son of Joseph? Do you know there's always somebody that's going to say it? And while there were probably multiples of people that go, I agree. But somebody said, hey, that's the son of Joseph. We know this boy. We saw him. We babysat him. We know his family. That's Mary's boy. That's Joseph's boy. He's been here forever. And he says he's somebody else. That's Joseph's boy. Church, can I tell you what that person was saying when he said, hey, isn't that Joseph's boy? You know what he's saying? He said, I reject that claim that he just made. This is not an acceptance of who Jesus has said he is. This is not how God will be glorified in that individual's life. And we know this to be a rejection because of their reaction. Because when one person said, hey, isn't that Joseph's boy? All the rest of them said, yeah, that's Joseph's boy. Who does he think he is? That's what they're really saying. Who do you think you are making these claims from God's holy word? Jesus anticipated this. Look at what he says. He says, next, you're going to be asking me to do miracles like in other places. Physician, heal thyself. Jesus says, listen, I know, I know where you're coming from. 
Physician, heal yourself. What they're saying, hey, do all those other things that you did at Capernaum. Do those here, and we might believe you. But until you do those, you're just Joseph's boy. Then he goes on in verse 24, and he says, prophet's not accepted in his own hometown. It's a sad but true thing. And then he refers in verses 25 and 26 in church, we don't want to miss this. You know, I tell you that I put my sermon in the crock pot on Thursdays, and then I don't really open them up again. You guys ever made a crock pot recipe that told you to put it in, leave it alone, and then right before you do it, open it up and add something to it, stir it up and let it finish? You ever done that? That's what the Lord just did to me earlier today. I was, well, I was actually yesterday, I was studying yesterday, and the Lord said, you need to open the crock pot, and you need to put this in. So let's talk about this for just a second. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus refers in this rebuttal where he says, you're going to tell me, do miracles or you won't believe. I'm not going to be accepted in this town. And then he goes on, he says, Elijah, he said, just like Elijah during the times of the three and a half year drought and how the people suffered and how God sent Elijah only to the woman, the widow of Zarephath. That's in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9. And you know what Jesus says? It was only this woman that God sent Elijah to, and that woman was from the region of Sidon, which is not the region of Israel. This woman was a Gentile. And then he talks about Elisha, who was the prophet after Elijah, in a period of Israel's history where there were many lepers, and on how he was only sent to heal one leper during his ministry. And that leper was Naaman the Syrian from Syria, not from Israel. And this man was a Gentile. Jesus is reminding the people that the gospel of Christ is for everyone. Not just Jews, not just Israel, but for everyone. And Jesus is reminding them that when you hear the claim of Christ as the Messiah, you will either accept or you will reject. And if you accept, we rejoice and then we move on. And if you reject, Jesus moves on, not desiring your rejection. But you know how Jesus was always saying, I've got to go to these other cities. I've got to do this. That's why I was sent to share the gospel with many different people. Jesus is reminding people that the gospel is for everyone. Verses 28 and 29. It's probably an understatement, but they didn't like what he said. You can see that. It made them turn wrathful. They literally attacked Jesus led him out of the city with the intent, Scripture tells us, of pushing him over the cliff. Church, can I tell you, that's pretty mad. They went from admiring the way that Jesus had taught them. Remember the time when they were reading and looking at him and marveled at how gracious his words were? Now they're ready to throw him off a cliff. They're being antagonistic. And you go, why? Well, because Jesus reminded them that God's goodness was extended to everyone, including Gentiles. And Jesus' message of grace, that extension of the gospel to all, was a blow to their proud Jewish 
exclusivism of the congregation. Jesus is saying, it's not just for you. But do you know what Jesus was saying, though, even before that? He's not saying it's not just for you. What he was reminding them of, he said, this is for you. He's telling these Jewish people, you must come before the Savior to deal with your sins, to be made right with the Father. And they were reminded, and it made them mad, that they just didn't have a special past. That You're saying, so we have to come to God just like those Gentiles do? And Jesus is going, yes, sin is sin. Savior is Savior. St. Augustine said, and I don't know who the they in his statement is. It could be today. They love the truth when it enlightens them, but they hate the truth when it accuses them. Let's say that again, church, because I haven't yet run today, and if I need to get a run going here, I will. I'm going to go right out that door. If you can catch me, come on. But Scripture says they love, I mean, not Scripture, Augustine said, they love truth when it enlightens them, but they hate truth when it accuses them. Some have said that this statement could apply to many congregations today. People want gracious words, but they don't want to be challenged by the truth. Church, we're seeing God bless us in many different ways, and I'm looking forward to seeing us talk about missions. I'm looking forward to mission trips. I'm looking forward to that. But you know what I'm seeing more than anything is I'm seeing people interested in and coming to know Jesus. And they don't do that when we don't tell the truth. They do that only when we tell the truth. Scripture teaches that Jesus is God's Son, the Messiah, sent to fulfill His promises. The people do not want to accept Him and reject the acceptable year of our Lord will one day face the last half of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2. It says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and we talk about all those things that Jesus said he came to become. And the last statement, to proclaim the day of vengeance of our Lord. Jesus didn't read it that day because he could not say it was fulfilled in that day because in that day, grace was being extended. Opportunity was being extended. The gospel was being shared with the opportunity. The time to accept Jesus is now. You have heard the claim that Jesus has made. You have been told through that scripture that you must deal with your sin problem. That Jesus is the answer to all of those needs. And you must accept or you are rejecting the claim of Christ. That's just the way it is, right, church? My desire is that you accept Jesus. It says that in this moment, 
Can you imagine the crowds pushed him out? They're bullying him out all on a cliff. I don't know how the Lord did this. There are all kinds of depictions and stories and renderings about how Jesus got away from that situation. All I know is Scripture says that Jesus passed through them and went about his way. And you're going, well, where'd he go? We'll talk about that next week. But let me just give you a hint. He probably went someplace where people were, and he read the Word of God, and he challenged them with the gospel, and he gave them an opportunity to accept or reject, and then he moved forward. In this moment, you have the opportunity to accept or reject. I pray that you accept. And an interesting thing, too, talking about rejection of the gospel for just a second. Do you know that Scripture doesn't really show Jesus going back to Nazareth much, if any, anymore? And you're going, well... I hear the claim that Jesus is making, and I have that need in my life, but I'm, I'm just not ready yet. I'll do it later. Church, can I tell you that we're not guaranteed later? We know that truth. That's not a pastoral scare tactic. That is the reality of life. Those people in Nazareth, the ones who sat back and said, I don't know, I'll think about this. Jesus never came back. So if the Lord is encouraging you, calling you, laying something on your heart that you need to do, here's what I want to tell you. You need to do it today. Because coming to know Jesus is better than winning the Super Bowl. And I read in Scripture that when someone comes to know Jesus... That homecoming champions parade in heaven led by the angels rejoicing has got to be a pretty awesome parade. So church, I encourage you now, accept the gospel. And if you're going, Jeff, I already know the gospel. Okay. Are you living it? Are you living it? See, there's enough scripture that says if you know the gospel, then you'll live a different way. And if you're not living a different way, your question is, is am, I have, do I have a, am I in a fellowship problem or am I in a relationship problem? Maybe the reason my life is not being lived for Christ is not because I'm just rebellious. Maybe it's because you're unsaved. I just push all that out there. Thanking the Lord for the clarity of his truth. Praying the Holy Spirit will have his way in this room. I'm going to ask you to stand now. We're going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time of opportunity for you to respond, whether your response is right there between you and the Lord, whether your response is later today or whether your response is to come down here at this front and pray or if I can walk with you or help in any way. I pray that you will do all that God is laying on your heart to do today. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your love. 
Thank you for keeping your promise and sending the Messiah. Thank you for Jesus, Father, faithfully stepping into the role that you gave him, Father, to bring sacrifice, redemption, forgiveness, and salvation to people. Father, must we each recognize that that is a gospel invitation that must be accepted and acted upon. It is not something that we are granted just because we're alive. Father, may you challenge each of us right now to assess where you say we are with Jesus. And may we, Father, allow you to lead and guide us every moment to live a life that's pleasing to you. We pray all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.